Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show. You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast. This is a Be the Guest segment. I think it is 11, 1126B. So we've been doing this more than 20 years. And our guest today is a wonderful guest because she has, at least it's a subject I don't think we've ever covered in any detail, and I'm fascinated by it. So it is, she is the co-founder and COO of triagecancer.org, T-R-I-A-G-E, cancer, C-A-N-C-E-R, dot org, Um, Monica Fauzi Bryant, um, and the mission of Triage Cancer, it's a national nonprofit that provides free education on the legal and practical issues that impact individuals diagnosed with cancer and their caregivers. So Monica, I've got to ask you to start out with, the Medicare denies um, paying for uh, colonoscopy if you're over the age of 80, as if you're not going to live to 90 or 100 or 110. And with those of us who are living longer, that seems like a crazy thing to stop preventive care um, at age 70 for men, PSA and, and prostate uh, exams that aren't paid for after 70, colonoscopy after 80, um, are they not going to pay for mammography either? And what can we do about that, if anything? Well, first off, let me say I'm delighted to be on talking with you today. And I certainly appreciate, you know, the real softball question right off the gate. Um, but, uh, you know, your question around Medicare, I think, is a good one. And the rules are really complicated. I think there's two answers to that question. The first is if someone receives a recommendation from their healthcare provider that they receive a certain service and any insurance company, whether that's Medicare or Medicaid or insurance they've purchased themselves denies coverage for that care, as consumers, we have the opportunity to appeal that denial. And that's not something that a lot of people are really familiar with. But I think the, the message I want to share to people is, you know, you don't necessarily have to take no for an answer. With respect generally to Medicare coverage, there's again an opportunity for us as all consumers of healthcare to make sure that our voices are being heard. And so if people are in that position and feel like it's unfair that Medicare is not covering certain services, they should be talking with CMS and talking with their elected officials, because uh, that really is the way to get the rules changed. And um, one of the problems with um, the new therapies for cancer must be that there are a lot of denials for payment. Is, is is that one of the big issues? Or tell me what the biggest issues are um, that we have to worry about when, since you're a cancer, since triage cancer, I assume, deals with um, all of the issues that patients must deal with surrounding cancer therapies. 
We do. And we talk to people along the continuum of care. So the issues, interestingly enough, tend to really fall into, I would say, four major categories. So the first is around access to health insurance. So how do you actually get health insurance and navigating the policies once you have that insurance? And then we certainly talk to people about employment issues. So how do you stay at work or take time off or make retirement decisions if that's appropriate for somebody? Uh, Disability insurance, estate planning, and finances, I would say, are the major topics that we talk to people about. Uh, With respect to, you know, paying for care, One of the things that's challenging, you know, you mentioned Medicare. One of the things that's been really challenging is that Medicare may have covered certain prescription drugs, but the way that prescription drug coverage was uh, created in Medicare, there were very high out-of-pocket costs for patients. And so even if it was covered, they were still spending a lot of money. And when you stop and think about, you know, who's receiving Medicare, It's individuals who are over the age of 65 who often have fixed incomes, or it's people who are younger but have disabilities that are so severe they cannot work. And so when you stop and think about that and then think about how much money we're asking people to pay for prescription drugs, it really is uh, nonsensical. The good news is we have a new piece of legislation that was recently passed called the Inflation Reduction Act. And it's going to do a number of things to improve Medicare, one of which is going to deal with the cost of prescription drugs in Medicare. And tell us how, now this is what they call closing the donut hole, as I understand the lingo. And tell us about that and what that means. Sure. So the donut hole is a... uh, colloquial term that refers to the gap in coverage in Medicare for prescription drugs. And so the first piece of legislation that actually started to close that donut hole was the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Sometimes people refer to that law as Obamacare. And what the Affordable Care Act did was over time, it lowered the amount that people were going to have to pay for prescription drugs. But even though it was lower, it was lower in percentage. So there was still a point in time when people were having to pay 5% of their prescription drug costs. Well, if someone is taking a $10,000 a month drug, 5% is still a lot of money. And so even with that improvement with the Affordable Care Act in closing the donut hole, there was still real practical challenges for people to access or pay for their prescription drugs on Medicare. So in comes the Inflation Reduction Act, and what that law does is a couple of things. The first is, as of, uh, you know, 2024, it's going to eliminate that 5%. So once someone reaches a certain amount, about $8,000, that's all they're going to have to pay for the year. But again, $8,000 is a lot of money. And so in future years, it's actually going to create an out-of-pocket maximum of $2,000. And so what that really helps people do is understand that 
and it's, we're not just talking about cancer drugs. We're talking about any prescription drugs. So there are lots of different medical conditions that have drug therapies that are quite expensive. And so this is really going to be game-changing, I think, for individuals who are receiving Medicare to be able to pay for their prescription drugs and not end up in financial ruin because of it. And um, the so a $2,000 maximum, and um, the point is that this will include any of the drugs that they get prescribed. Now, some drugs aren't in what you might call, what we call a formulary. What does that mean? And what the, and will the formularies now get reduced so that expensive drugs of all kinds are excluded from formularies? Is there protection about that? So the formulary is really just a term that means the list of drugs that a particular insurance company is gonna cover. And there are formularies, again, in all types of insurance. So private insurance, insurance someone gets through an employer, and in Medicare. And so if a drug isn't on the formulary, then the insurance company doesn't have to cover it. But I will say that CMS, which is the entity that sort of runs Medicare, uh, does include even newer drugs once they become FDA approved on the formulary. And so, and you know, there are, there are lots of parties involved in all of this. And certainly the pharmaceutical companies that make the prescription drugs work with CMS to get the drugs put on the formularies. So it sometimes takes a little time for new drugs to get put on the formulary. Uh, but our understanding is that, you know, it's in everybody's best interest, in my opinion, that people who need access to the medications get access to now, the medications. Now, let me go and talk about it from the physician, um, my point of view, if you will, or my wife's point of view. Um, my wife spends an hour a day, three days a week, arguing with insurance companies essentially appealing to get, she's a developmental pediatrician, to get certain medications covered for the kids. I spend, there, there is, even when I prescribe things for adults on Medicare, there are rules that limit um, which drugs are approved for which conditions and a number of ropes to go through. So for example, someone can have a, as I have today, a patient who has a intolerance to statin drugs, he gets severe pain from three different statins. To get him approved on the next drug available, um, and uh, one of the, the next drug, if you will, Zetia or Zetamide, um, doesn't lower his uh, LDL or apolipoprotein B cholesterol enough. So now I will argue, I, and he's been denied for the next level of drug, benpendoic acid. So I will have to argue for either Repath or benpendoic acid, and it will usually take me someplace over 40 minutes. Initially, I will get on the phone with a person the insurance company provides who's a high school graduate who goes through a checkoff list 
and they will usually say yes, but now we have to check to my manager. And then I get to a nurse who will often say no, uh, doesn't fit all the criteria, I'm sorry. And then I get to appeal it and I appeal it to the medical director. Well, that process and the waiting online will generally take someplace between 20 and 50 or 60 minutes um, and often 40 minutes. Well, all you have to do is have one of those a day, um, which is very common since I see 20 patients um, that get denied and you can see that it costs the physician an extra hour a day. So I have a great interest in what you're doing and in helping facilitate that. But I imagine it is even more significant a problem for cancer and can and the and the can and the oncologists. And I certainly empathize. You know, it is uh, a common complaint that we hear from providers who are advocates for their patients and are willing to help their patients with the appeals process. I will say not all providers do. Uh, and it's definitely something that we deal with in the cancer community. This concept that you ref were referring to is known as step therapy, where the insurance company requires that patients start with a, you know, quote unquote, lower level drug generally speaking, those are going to be the less expensive drugs. And then if that drug doesn't work for them, then they get to step up to another drug. So the, the sort of term is referred to as step therapy. Uh, and it is, it is a fundamental challenge with our system. I think sometimes people forget that insurance companies are businesses. They're not altruistic entities. And so in order to keep costs down, they often use these uh, sort of methods, uh, you know, utilization management and things, step therapy and prior authorizations to keep those costs down. And unfortunately, the burden does fall either on the provider, such as yourself and your wife, or on the patient themselves to have to navigate the appeal system. On a positive note, what I will say, though, is what we find, particularly around uh, insurance denials in the open marketplace, is that when people appeal their denials, somewhere between 40 and 60% of all appeals are decided in favor of the patient. So roughly speaking, you know, about half the time when an insurance company is saying, no, we're not going to cover that, they're getting it wrong. Well, I don't know whether they're getting it wrong, but they, they seem to tire of us complaining about it and keeping stepping it up. That is, and, and usually when you get to talk to the physician who is, it takes you about, you know, it, off, it, it is virtually never under 20 minutes to get to the medical director. Um, and once you get there though, um, usually the medical director will understand the medical need, but it takes a while and it is, it is like um, a battle to get through the system to have the time to do that, to argue for patients. And so I'm, I'm wondering, um, how, does, triage, does triage cancer have a, a system that facilitates that better? Or is, is part of what you do 
how do you help patients in this uh, way other than, uh, and I assume what you're doing is telling them they have the right to appeal, at least in, in many of the drugs I prescribe, which aren't cancer, but are, are cardiovascular drugs, uh, the, the insurance company puts it back from the patient appealing to me. Um, and I don't know whether that's done in oncology drugs, but I assume it is as well. How do you how do you fight that, or, or how do you um, go around that? And, and I should say we are talking with Monica Fauzi Bryant, B R Y A N T, who's a cancer rights attorney. She is co-founder and COO of triagecancer.org. T R I A G E cancer, C-A-N-C-E-R dot org. And what's legal about your health is what we're talking up to her about. How did, how did, how how have you gotten around that problem? So I will say off the bat, we don't get around it. What we help people do is get through it. And we take a multifaceted approach at doing that. So the first step is around education. So it's about making sure that people understand that if they get that denial, they don't have to take no for an answer. And it's not just about drugs, access to prescription drugs. It could be access to preventative screenings and tests or hospital stays or any number of services that somebody might need. And once they understand, okay, wait, I don't have to take no for an answer. Well, what are the next steps? And those next steps are really going to depend on the type of insurance somebody has. Now, I will absolutely agree with you that in order to have a successful appeal, patients are going to need the help of their healthcare team. Absolutely. However, there are a lot of steps that can be taken prior to engaging that healthcare provider in that conversation with the insurance company. Sometimes it works and there, that conversation doesn't need to happen. Sometimes it does need to happen. And again, I I fully empathize with how much time it takes providers to help their patients do this process. Uh, And there's no real way around it. But what I think is so important is that if if states, so let me back up, there are generally two levels of appeal, particularly when we're talking about commercial insurance. So that's insurance someone purchases through the marketplace or insurance that somebody gets through an employer, for example. There are generally going to be two levels of appeal. So first is an internal appeal where they're going back to the insurance company and saying, please reconsider. And that's very similar to what you were referring to, where you go to the insurance company and you have a conversation with the medical director. But then what people need to realize is there's also an external appeal opportunity where people can go to an independent entity and have them look at sort of the facts of the case, so to speak, where they're going to look at the policy, they're going to look at the facts of that person's medical history and situation, and then they're going to determine medical necessity. And that is the legal standard by which appeals are decided. And when you look at that medical necessity and that external appeals process, that's where we get that statistic about 40 to 60% of appeals are decided in favor of a patient. So it's important for people to understand not only that they have the right to appeal, but the actual practical steps they need to take and that there's this additional opportunity to appeal to an independent entity. 
And I have to tell you, in our experience, when people understand those pieces, many times they're able to self-advocate and get a positive result. I have concentrated on this one issue. Obviously, there are other issues that you deal with. So um, give us a, 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 a another, if you will, um, set of issues you deal with at triagecancer.org. So as I mentioned, another topic that we spend a lot of time talking to people about is around work. And it may be around work decisions for the individual who's been diagnosed, but many times it's also about decisions for their caregiver, whether that's a spouse or a child. Uh, And so we talk to people a lot about both the federal and state laws that might apply to their situation if someone would like to continue working through treatment or to take time off. The unfortunate reality in this country is that very few people have access to paid leave from work. So we talk to people about their various disability insurance options and how to navigate those decisions as well. And um, the uh, tell me about um, the uh, give me a, a typical case, if you would, Monica. And again, we're talking to Monica Fauzi Bryant, who is the COO and co-founder of Triage Cancer dot um, or give me a give me an example, if you would. So at Triage Cancer, we have a number of programs where we provide education around these practical and legal topics like health insurance and employment and estate planning. We host educational events, but then we also have a sort of one-on-one service that we provide called our Legal and Financial Navigation Program. And on that program, anyone can reach out to us fill out an easy form on our website, and then we'll get on the phone with them and just talk about what's going on with their question or their situation. Then we'll give them their uh, various, the various laws and programs that might be applicable to their situation, and then we'll help them understand their next steps. So I, I say all that to preface that on our legal and financial navigation program, we talk to more than a thousand people a year from around the country. And interestingly enough, the issues are all very similar. So certainly this issue around what do you do if the insurance company says no, uh, that we've been talking about. Uh, And around employment, I have to say a lot of times it's about, you know, I, I enjoy my job. I want to keep working. Working is the thing that sort of feels normal in all of this craziness now that I've been diagnosed, but I need some help to do that. So how can I continue working when maybe I need to take uh, some time off or I need to, um, you know, have a flexible schedule because I have appointments on Friday or maybe I'm dealing with some side effects at work and I need some help dealing with those side effects. So we might talk to somebody about the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is the federal law that gives eligible individuals access to something called reasonable accommodations. Uh, So we'll explain the law, we'll explain how someone would be eligible for that, and then we'll talk to them about the various things that maybe might help them get through work. So if they're dealing with extreme fatigue in the afternoons, 
do they have the kind of job where they can work from seven to three instead of nine to five? And sometimes those slight changes or accommodations are really all that somebody needs to be able to stay at work, which not only is the thing that they want to do, but also financially, many of us need to keep working. So that seems like an awful great um, help to people. We've been talking with Monica Fauzi Bryant of triagecancer.org. Um, I've learned an awful lot and uh, appreciate the accommodation pathway. We, of course, are sponsored by Life's First Naturals, lifesfirstnaturals.com, where you can find out more about TrueBiotics and bovine colostrum and the randomized studies they've done that show the benefits in preventing leaky gut from um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and the decrease of bloating and the decrease in uh, thickness of the intestine that has been shown in randomized studies in animals about this, from this, or with bovine colostrum, as well as the specific benefits of the bacteria uh, provided in their probiotic, TrueBiotic. Thanks very much, Monica. And remember, you can always find out about how to live younger, longer by getting our app, Reboot Your Age at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Monica Bryant, Monica Fauzi Bryant can be uh, reached through triagecancer.org. Um, thanks again, Caitlin, for your engineering, and thank you for downloading us. You're what make us do this. We, um, you can suggest guests at greatagereboot.com, greatagereboot.com, and you can suggest guests for us. In the meantime, thanks again. We'll be back next week, and I don't know if any guest can be as good as Monica has been, but hopefully we'll be back with great guests next week, too. Thanks again.